Today's episode of the Spring Hills Podcast, Barney Cargyle joins me in the green room. Barney's a local pastor and author, and today we're going to be looking into a few of his books, Thriving in Quarantine and Thriving in Troubled Times. He's a talented storyteller. I can't wait for you to hear about these books. So here he is, Barney Cargyle. Barney, welcome. It's great to have you here. Um, I'm excited to talk about this book and to hear more about you because I know you a little bit, um, but I don't know you uh too personally. I know you from the pastor's prayer meetings and you've spoken at our church a few times, um, but I want to get to know you a tiny bit. So let's just start with this. Uh, give us a, some background on you. Where'd you grow up? What was your, your upbringing like? Well, mostly in Seattle. Uh, the first 14 years of my life, I lived in South Carolina and then Seattle and went to Bible school there and um, been a pastor. Wow. I'm 67 now. been a pastor for over 40 years um, up and down, mostly the West Coast, Idaho, Oregon, and been here in Santa Rosa, California for uh, 30 years. It's amazing. And okay. served as so a— So Seattle, are you are you a Seattle sports fan? Uh, unfortunately. I say that <laughs> so to the, the Bay Area. So the Supersonics is like a heartbreak for you. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but a Seahawks fan. Oh, yeah. yeah they had the some Seahawks good and all the Seahawks. Oh. All the 49ers fans just, uh, you know, turn the station off. But, yeah, it's Anytime okay. I meet somebody that's a Seahawks fan, I'm like, I need to know that you're, you've got some tie to Seattle. Because if you're just a Seahawks fan because they got really good over the last 10 years, then, you know, it's not, that's not cool. But It's, um, it's lame. Yeah, it's lame. It's lame. Although I have some weird sports allegiances. I can explain them all, but I've got some weird sports allegiances. I'm actually an Orlando Magic fan, Oh, which there's no bandwagoning <laughs> for the Orlando Magic. Except Disney World. I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you grew up You can grew up in Seattle. Sounds like you've been all over the West Coast. South Carolina, you said too, right? Right. Um, right. But let's talk about how you became a Christian. Were you grow, Did you grow up in church? Right. My dad's a pastor uh, or was a pastor. Uh, he's still alive. He's almost 93, but uh, still serves the Lord. And uh, yeah, that's awesome. The pastor's home, so don't hold that against me. I'm still a good guy. Hey, I'm pastor's kid. People oh. seem, seem people seem to be okay with me. I think <laughs> maybe not. Maybe they're just lying to me. Um, so pastor's kid, though, what was that? I know growing up for me, I was in the '90s. Uh, it was a, probably a little bit different from when you grew up. I mean, we're what twenty years apart, me and you in age. That's that's being kind. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like growing up as a pastor's kid? Um, you know, it, it didn't really bother me. It really didn't. I mean, I had a few couple years of you know kind of semi rebellion, but for the most part, you know, I, I really loved the Lord and wanted to follow him. And I felt his call on my life early on to be a pastor. And I kind of resisted it, wanted to go into journalism for a while, but, oh, cool. you know, met my wife and, you know, she got me right back on the right track. How'd you guys meet? You, Linda met, is your wife, right? Linda's my wife. We met at church in youth group. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. I was actually a little old for youth group. It was sort of like a little blurred. The lines were, oh. <laughs> she was 17. I was 19. Oh, okay. And, yeah. That's 17 and 19. That's fine. If you would have been like, I was 33, she was 15. <laughs> I would have been like, well, hold on. Let's, uh, let's go back to this. Uh, yeah. Awesome. So you guys met at church um, and you said you, you felt the call early on to go into ministry. Was that while you were in high school, college? What was the, the timeline there? Um, you know, well, you know, I don't know if I could say a specific date, but I would say even earlier than that, oh, I cool. sensed it. I really sensed it and just, you know, just, you know, wanted to be cool. And was that part of your, was part of that, that you were, did you have a good relationship with your dad and you wanted to, you wanted to follow those footsteps? I, that was part of it, I think. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I used to yeah. always say when I grew up, cause again, pastor's kid, uh, my people would say, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I'd always say, well, 
I want to be the worst basketball player in the NBA because I get to pay a lot of money to watch basketball, right? And then I'd always just end up being, but I'm probably going to end up being a pastor like my dad. And it was always a joke, but it ended up happening. I I followed exactly in his footsteps, youth pastor to worship pastor, and it's exactly what I did. So... Um, I think that's, it's awesome when, when you've got pastors that have great relationships with their kids and it's just like generations of pastors because their, their relationship with their, their kids is so good. I mean, we see that with Brett and Kiki at Spring Hills too. I mean, Brett, Kiki's now working in ministry and doing an awesome job and it's just, it's a huge testament to, to the pastors. Um, so you've been in ministry now for a long time. You said Santa Rosa for 30 years, but what was your first job in ministry? Um, I was uh, actually did a year's internship in Spokane, Washington, and then was in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho for 10 years. It was a almost a church plant, not quite. Uh, came into this small little church, and, you know, that was... What was of, your role there? I was the pastor. Oh, you were the yeah, lead pastor? I was. It How was old just, were you when you took that... Wow, like 24. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Jeez, and I, that's and I look I look like I was 15. So you you were a young <laughs> and right away, 24. Right right away I started teaching about parenting without any kids. So, nice. you know, that nice. went over well. <laughs> I started doing I was in youth ministry. I started at 19 and uh-huh. uh did my first sermon not long after that when I was 19 years old and I actually had a couple people get up and walk out because oh, <laughs> the, I was at an old school church. They were a little bit like, I mean, I had tattoos. I'm 19 years old and I'm preaching and they're just all like, nope, this is, a, what do you have to, to teach me kind of thing, right? Um, always an interesting experience like that. <laughs> uh, yes. So now you've been in ministry for, for a long time. Uh, I know you're working with Crossing the Jordan now. You're semi-retired, you say, right? R- right. So right. what's the semi-retired? What do you mean by that? Uh, well, I'm on staff at San Rosa Christian Church. Okay. And so um, part-time there, preach about once a month there. And I actually get to preach around the area filling in a lot because of after 30 years have a lot of relationships mm-hmm. with other pastors and churches. And so, you know, at least once a month I'm in other churches. I've spoken here a number yeah. of times at Spring yeah. Hills and just love it. Love you guys. And but you're working with Crossing the Jordan as well, well right? I was. Crossing the Jordan is, uh, you know, they dissolved because of, oh, you know, cor- financial the COVID, the stuff, COVID huh? stuff. And they have some of the graduates have formed a new nonprofit called Intrepid. And I do stay connected. They now... They always consider me their pastor. Oh, so, that's cool. Yeah, do Bible studies with them and so forth. Yeah. Now, your role with Crossing the Jordan when they were around, you had worked with uh, quite a few people. You mentioned it in your book as well. Um, I should say that. We've we've set this up to talk about your book that you wrote, um, Thriving in Quarantine. So that's where we're going to lead into here. But And, and actually, I have two books. You, so have, I'll you plug, do. Yeah, I'll yeah, plug the other one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you probably will get to that in a minute. I will, so, yeah. yeah. But you, yeah, if you want to talk about, talk about that one too, because you have, so Thriving in Quarantine is one of the books. The other one is a devotional book that um, you you had kind of put in together while you were also on the cruise. Is that right? Right, right. I, I do a weekly blog called Barney's Bullet. And you can get that. Originally, it was Barney. I know it's not politically correct. It was Barney's bullet points. And so I kind of, you know, backed away from that. And anyway, so I took a lot of the articles, put them together, and they're inspiring. The purpose is to really build people's hope right now. And so it's kind of a companion book to Thriving in Quarantine. The subtitle is Meeting God in the Middle of Our Mess. And we are in a mess, uh, you know, culturally, individually, and so forth. And I just, one of the things I really see, I, I don't want to take off too much on this, but one no, of the good. things is there's um, there's just a, people need hope yeah. right now, hope and encouragement. And I see so many people that, you know, are just discouraged, you know, statistics show that uh, suicides are up, divorce is up, 
you know, mental illness is up. I mean, all kinds substance of issues, abuse is substance up. abuse. Yeah. And so, you know, I think a lot of people are desperate and I, I do believe that both these books offer hope. They're different, totally different, but, uh, yeah. Okay. I, awesome. Well, let's get into the book a little bit. I mean, you, you start by, you start by telling us, first of all, you're writing. You've, have you always been a writer or is this something that you, you thought of later on in life? Uh, no, I've always loved writing. Because you said journalism. Yeah, I didn't know right. about that, but you said journalism. I'm like, okay, so this has always been a passion of yours. Right. I mean, even as a young kid, I started writing when I was about six years old, right? Obviously the quality was, uh, on a six-year-old level, <laughs> yeah. but I, I just love doing it. So you and, wrote this book when you were six years old is what you're saying. You're a great storyteller. When did you realize that you were, you had a knack for that? Uh, probably in high school, you know, taking creative writing courses. And I got a lot of positive feedback on some of my stuff and okay. the teachers would read it and start, start laughing out loud. Yeah. I thought, well, okay. Well, well you've I'm, got a knack for it. So, um, you you start out your book explaining how the, first of all, the cruise came about, right? But you have this way of describing when uh, your daughter was walking to your house, you playing Sherlock, right? Trying to figure out who it is. And you know it wasn't one of the kids because the footsteps weren't right, quiet enough right. or whatever. Um, and you start, you just describe this whole thing in a really creative way. Is that something that comes to you just naturally as you're writing, or do you have to work through that process? Uh, it, it comes pretty naturally, actually. You know, I come back and tweak it a little bit yeah. here and there. But, yeah, mostly okay. naturally, yeah. So we, we do uh, – you talk about your family a little bit. Um, so your wife, Linda, your daughter is Tiffany, her right. husband, Scott. Um, and then you've got another son, right? I do have another son, Josh. And just – you have the two kids? Right. So how many grandkids do you have? Seven. Seven grandkids. Seven grandkids. All right. Uh, that's a lot of grandkids. Good for you. We're, we're rich. Richly blessed. Yes, that's awesome. Let's talk about this book, though. Um when you're, when you're, okay, this is kind of a tricky situation because I can't imagine the idea that you're like, well, I'm going to look at this in a humorous way because it's not a humorous thing, but, and you, I, I read some of the reviews and stuff as well, just on Amazon and people saying like finding the perspective of one, one family's perspective on this whole deal while it's a global panic. Uh, so how did you find the balance in that? Was that something that you, that you struggled finding? Well, um, I don't think so, but you know, just backing up just a little bit, I want, I want to make sure all the listeners know that what we're talking about is the Grand Princess uh, that sailed uh, out of San Francisco. This was like a year ago, you know, a little right. bit over a year ago, and that's when kind of the we were first as Americans first really exposed to COVID. It was called coronavirus back right. then, if you remember. Yep. And so, um, you know, we we had booked this cruise. Like you said, my daughter kind of twisted our arms to do it because it was her 40th birthday and their 10th anniversary, right. and they they um, they needed some designated babysitters to go along with them. So uh, we, we did that. We went with them, and, uh, you know, that's when COVID was found on board. They had the three little kids, and they had an inside cabin. We were right across from them. We had a balcony, and, boy, it would have been absolutely torturous for them because we were confined to our cabins for six days, and then mm -hmm. Travis Air Force Base after that for uh, two weeks. But Were boy, you able to hang out with them? You weren't? completely quarantined between the family, right? You could hang right. out with your family. Not, not at Travis, not once we got to Travis. They, oh, were okay. a, they were in a family section. And 
But by that point, you know, six days cooped up together. Yeah, we were able to hang out. They let us go back and oh, forth. Oh, good. Okay. But, uh, you know, we were ready for the break by oh, then. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> but yeah, I, I forgot your original question. So, oh, about the balance. Between, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, yeah. We, we this will kind of come too, but I also, the balance between being, you, you talked about your daughter twisting your arm a little bit to go on this cruise. You really found a good balance also uh, of what it was like, to, what it's like to be a grandparent. Now, I'm not, obviously not a grandparent. I am a parent. Um, but my parents, you know, there's times where my parents, they're going to be willing to watch our kids. And even though they're loving spending time with their grandkids, you know, they can only take a, you know, a certain uh-huh. amount of it before they're like, you got to come pick the kids up, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so, um, how has being a parent and now a grandparent helped you grow as a writer? Oh, uh, it gives me a lot of, inf- it gives me a lot of, uh, content to draw from. That's Cause it's sure. funny, right? It I mean, there's funny. a lot of humorous and- things there. It is. There are. There are. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, because I focused on um, our specific family situation, I think it made it easier for me to, you know, kind of find humor in that. I didn't, you know, obviously would never, you know, find humor in the fact that people were sick and dying. Mm-hmm. We right. never, by the way, we never saw anyone, a, a sick person on the boat or at Travis. There were people that got sick, but we just, you know. You weren't around like, it. We weren't around it. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it, so it, it was that we were able to kind of uh, just, you know, have a little fun with uh, our adventure. And I think that's something that people need, especially when the book came out. It's like, wow, you know, this is all gloomy and, you know, so forth. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, everything, I think, so if we're thinking back from uh, a little over a year ago now, I guess, um, that first few weeks of the unknown, I was just, the, the first of all, the, the uh, vast differences between people. Some people were very scared. Other people were the total opposite of that, being like, this is a hoax. Right. And even that was just kind of like, man, what is, the unknown is kind of my point. And with the unknown being, you're on a cruise ship, where, right. What kind of unknowns were there for you guys? Because you weren't, you probably weren't getting all information, or you were getting maybe too yeah. much information. I don't know. Well, the interesting thing is, we got more information from the news than we did from our captain. Okay, that's just sort of how our our culture works, right. you know. Um, but you know, we just yeah, there there was some concern, there was some fear that came up for us a little bit initially, and you know, one of the things that we learned, and I bring that out in the book, is that we really it really taught us to trust God because Mm -hmm. we didn't know even on a personal level, you know, how long are we going to be quarantined in our room? You know, how long, you know, where are we going to go? They didn't, they didn't tell us a lot of that. They didn't know initially. And so, you know, where are we going to dock? Where are we going to stay? What's, you know, are we going to be able to be together? I didn't even know if my wife and I were going to be able to be together for a couple of weeks. And so, uh, but it all worked out. And, but in the meantime, we just had to learn to kind of stay in the moment and go, okay, I'm not going to freak out about the future, not going to future trip. I'm not going to, you know, just, you know, because what begins to happen is we we create worst case scenarios in our mind. Snowball. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's true in every aspect of life. But I think we especially had to learn it here. Had you, were you in contact with anybody on the mainland that like you understood that that could tell you this is what's happening here in California? Uh, yeah, yeah, we could, uh, but they didn't know anything either. Right. Know, so it was, uh, yeah. I mean, so the timeline here, remind me what the timeline was. Cause you went on the cruise, um, cause you was, were on a 15 day cruise, right? right? It was the end of February and, uh, we ended up, uh, 
yeah, we went into quarantine, I think it was, I don't know, like maybe the first of March. Okay. And, or, you know, or a couple of days into March, and we were there, I think, until like March 10th. So we were confined to our room for six days, and that was the toughest part. Yeah. You know, just kind of like, okay, what are we going to do next? I mean, it's, you know, uh, all right. You know, and, and we did we did variety of activities that kept us entertained. But. Right. You also mentioned that you make, uh, first of all, your dad jokes in this, like land ho. You make a joke about if you've seen land, you'd yell land ho, and you're glad, your wife's probably glad that you didn't embarrass her with that. I, um, I do that quite frequently. I was going to say, are you wife. are you the dad joke guy? Like, dad, I'm hungry. Hi, hungry. Nice <laughs> to meet you. Not quite that cornball, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> okay. Because then you talk about how uh, you're getting onto an elevator and you're like, you wanted to yeah. make the joke. I wouldn't, I don't suppose it'd be funny if I started violently coughing, would it? <laughs> right, right. So were other people finding humor in this too? Did you see that throughout the, the ship? Um, or was, were you kind of feeling alone on that? Uh, I didn't, I hadn't thought about it till you asked right now, but I don't guess I saw a lot. I didn't stop to think about it. Sure. I was just kind of having fun and right. my humor gets me in trouble at times, especially when I'm preaching, but yeah. Give me an example. How does your humor get oh, you in boy. trouble? I, 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 when I'm preaching, I, you know, some of this I, I can't. That's fine. That's accidental, fine. I'm accidental, you on the spot. accidental faux pas that end up being a little unintentionally R-rated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. So your timeline, you started, uh, you said end of February. So you said March, about the 1st of March, you guys went into the, um, the quarantine. What was the timeline of your thinking of, uh, this is no big deal to wait. Is this a big deal? Uh, what's what's going on? Are we or should we be scared? Should we be panicked? How are are we going to be okay? It it sort of grew. Uh, I mean, at first it was like, ah, all right. So we're here for a couple of days. I yeah. can handle a day or two in in our in our cabins, and you know, and and then it began. We began to realize, okay, we're going to be here longer than we thought. Maybe this is a bigger deal than we realized. Um, Overall, my wife and I stayed pretty calm. Uh, we would tend to be towards the side, especially my wife on the end of the spectrum that mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's, it's being exaggerated. We felt like all the way through, even with our stay at Travis Air Force Base, that the press tended to make a bigger thing over it than mm-hmm. what we were actually experiencing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because, they, they, you know, they love the doom and gloom stories, but yeah. Right. Now, you've mentioned to me, and you mentioned already on the podcast already, um, that the theme here is hope. So right, when right. you were when you started to write this, was that originally you're like, man, people need hope right now? Or is that just kind of what came out as you started to write? I think it more it came out, more or less. I mean, uh, was, Your devotionals already uh, were... Devotionals were geared that way, but I, I, like I said, went back and tweaked them. And the, the devotional book came out right around Christmas time, just mm-hmm. before Christmas. It was interesting. I, I remember the time I was, you know, I was going to put the devotional book out and then I was driving, just getting on the freeway on 101 right off College Avenue. I mean, in specific. And this is like December 2019? <laughs> this is, no, this was about the first book. This was in eh, like around May or something. Okay. And I just felt that the Lord was telling me, you need to write this book. Okay. And it's like, wow. And I just whipped it out. I mean, it was beyond my abilities as a writer. And within, I mean, it should have taken months and months. Within a, a couple of months, it was done. And I mean, total process, edited, you know, all that. And, and when so, did you actually release it? I, it was uh, around the middle of June, June 20th, something around there. Wow. Yeah. So you really did do that I really, super quick. It was super quick. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, I was going to ask this because you, you, we, well, okay. You, the unknown, right? Right. Uh, you, saying 
we're going to be in our room for a couple of days. That's fine. Ended up being, you said six days, six right? Six days. So right. that's kind of what ended up happening here with the church too, as well, because we were told two weeks that we were going to be, <laughs> you know, shelter in place. And it was, you know, mid-March. So we're thinking, are we going to be able to have Easter services? Well, four months later, we're going, oh my goodness, this is still going on. We still haven't had services since this happened. Right. I think we went 13 or 14 weeks here at Spring Hills with no services until we were able to start doing them outside. Wow. Um, and everything was just online and stuff. So was there ever a time where you felt hopeless? Um, and I say that as like, yeah. you know, just yeah. as the church, just knowing like this started to feel hopeless of like, are we ever going to be able to have our church together again or anything like that? You know, did you feel hopeless at all? Within yeah. This? I mean, I, I don't know that I would say hopeless, but um, I, I remember standing on the balcony, just mad and going, you know, this isn't right. Why, you know, how long is this going to go on? What a bummer. I mean, this was supposed to be our vacation and this is how it goes. And I'm just kind of like moaning and groaning before God. And, you know, I just, I really sensed, you know, from the Lord, it's like, what are you going to do about it? Like, well, nothing. Okay, well, trust me with it. Right. And, and, I, and I felt a certain amount of release, you know, at that point. And, you know, it was a discipline to come back to, again, staying in the moment was a really big deal. Mm -hmm. That was super important. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I did have those kind of moments at times. But, yeah, the principles that I talk about in the book really helped. Did you feel like a prisoner? Uh, I mean, I'm not saying, did you feel yeah, like, are you, yeah. did you, did you say that you, did, did could you say that you were, uh, you, you really understood what Paul was going through? <laughs> oh, I wouldn't want to go that far. No, but, but I do think that, yeah, there was times when it's like, I just want to step out and walk down the hall and you, can't. you know, yeah. I mean, no, I couldn't. And, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know, again, you and I don't know you super well. I know you well enough to, to know that you've got a sense of humor about things. And, um, I can't imagine I'm, I'm a little bit of a doomsday kind of person when it comes to not necessarily, um, of the panic of like how serious I think this is, but more of just like, uh, well, we're, we're going to be here forever now. I don't know what we're going to do, you know, and I just get my, I snowball pretty hard, uh, pretty quick with those kinds of things. So I can't imagine being stuck in a room and getting a little bit mad and then being able to just uh, surrender it to God and kind of feel that release. I, I can't relate to that because I feel like I would probably yell at a few people well, before I well, got to I, that I don't point. want you to think it was like I flipped a switch and all of a sudden it's, you know, sure. you know rainbows and unicorns and yeah. all that. You know, it was, yeah, there were, there were those moments. But I do think, you know, when you're kind of stuck like that, you it's almost like you have no option. And that, right. that sounds bad, but you don't you have no option but to trust God. And it's right. like, okay, that's a good place to be. Right. Were you able to see any positives while you were there? Oh, sure. You With, mean, did, did you mean I, for us personally or just overall? Yeah, yeah. I mean, for you personally, for I mean, for just the situation as a whole. I'll give you an example. We do um, an adventure week every year where we have on campus here, we've got four or 500 kids. And when June came around, we realized, we're not gonna be able to do this on campus. So we're going to have to adjust here. So we did it all online and it ended up being, you know, granted we're still really bummed out that we weren't able to be on campus. We realized, uh, as we gave these, these are boxes of activities for the kids to do. So this adventure weeks for, you know, kindergarten through sixth grade. And so we delivered these boxes to people. Parents are crying that their kids are going to be able to have something to do, thanking us, that kind of thing. And seeing the fact that the parents, Usually they drop their kids off on campus, they leave, they come back and pick them up. Now the parents are actually hearing the gospel preached as well by watching these videos with their kids. So we're, you know, finding the silver linings like that of like, you know what, 
how many parents are hearing the gospel this week because they're actually doing Adventure Week with their kid instead of just dropping them off. Um, so that kind of positive. What kind of positives were you seeing in this situation? Oh, there were some amazing things. I mean, early on, you know, even before we went on the cruise, because it, it didn't make sense for us to go in sure. some ways, but we both, Linda and I both sensed that there's some reason we're supposed to be on this cruise. Uh-huh. And we didn't really know what it was. We did feel like, you know, when we did interact with people, there were a few days when we found out we might be stuck here uh, before we were actually confined mm-hmm. to our quarters. We, we tried to, you know, really instill messages of hope. One of the things, and, and we, we had also opportunities, lots and lots of interviews, uh, interviewed on um, the San Francisco affiliate, uh, NBC and ABC several times, uh, was interviewed by uh, KGO Radio Live a couple of times, and, uh, you know, I, it was live, so I wasn't able to talk about Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and, and they couldn't shut you down. Uh, no, and so, but it, they came back for a second one, so it was great. Sweet. And then, the, you know, interviewed in the newspaper I, five or six times, you know, while we were there. Um, so over, even the Today Show, we did interviews on the Today Show and Good Morning America. But um, one of the things, let me just read this to you if I yeah. could. It's a quote from uh, Thriving in Quarantine, my first book. And it says, um, after I talked about the interviews, it says, we couldn't ignore the irony. Here we were, confined to our quarters on the open seas and isolated from other human beings, yet God gave us a far-reaching platform so that we could share his hope and peace, a larger platform than any we had ever experienced in all our ministry. And then I add, God has the best sense of humor in the universe, and he loves to surprise us. In the Old Testament, he spoke through a donkey, for goodness sakes. So I guess he can speak through me. So, uh, you know, and I did. I found that very ironic that um, we would be stuck out in the middle of nowhere, and we've had more influence probably during that time than any other time in my ministry. Which yeah. Is, yeah. I think that's a great example, too, of just what the church kind of went through because we're seeing— uh, when we were doing the online stuff, seeing you know thousands and thousands of people watching online services, and we're going, you know what? A lot of these people probably wouldn't have been at church today or something, but now they just came across it on Facebook or they came across it on YouTube, and um, you know the the I think it's the um, church online like the Craig Rochelle group that they put together a, a full a platform for churches to be able to stream their services live. And it was, I forget the numbers now, but it was just an, an overwhelming number of people watching services on Easter Sunday, which is so cool because Easter Sunday is already a highly attended week uh, of the year, but just hearing, wow, this is the, the message of the gospels getting out in numbers the, online that we, you know, I, I couldn't have imagined. And so we started to see God working pretty amazingly through some some very frustrating times for us as humans and just having to be like yeah oh no no no, god doesn't know what he's doing <laughs> how many times yeah. does that happen we draw out blueprints and... oh well romans eight twenty eight. Yeah. you know all things work together for good so right. i think that's a uh, yeah um so real quick i want to know uh, a little bit more about the response that you've had because we did talk about how uh, i mean it's it's a tricky you know, tightrope to walk here with people being, uh, there's a lot of sensitivity towards the the issue, especially if someone has had family members pass away from the coronavirus and you finding humor through something that you're not finding through humor through the coronavirus. You found humor through your experience on this cruise. But have you had any backlash with this of people, people feeling like you were making light of a serious situation? I, I on, on, uh, yeah, on, I, I got on Amazon one 
negative review. Most of them have been overwhelmingly positive, but this person said, you know, here, this guy's a pastor and he shows no compassion for the people that are, you know, here you are, you know, dead bodies floating on the ocean and you're making, you know, and it's like, okay, buddy, you, you weren't there. But it's also the, probably the one that sticks out to you the most, right? Yeah. You know, that's how it is. You notice the, the, the black spot on the white piece of paper, you know, but, but I would say overall it's been, uh, it's, you know, it's been great. Yeah. You know, the response has, and the book's done really well. Um, it was the number one bestseller on Amazon in three categories. Oh, cool. And, uh, yeah, travel short reads and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. It is uh, a short read. That is something that I noticed just when I was thumbing through it. It, it, I mean, I, I think I read the first two chapters in about 10 minutes. It, it's not, it's not, which actually I think is one of the reviews says it's too short, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, when I've thought about that, I thought, yeah, you know, probably could have developed the characters a little more. And oh, I still you know, think you more- did a great job doing that. Cause I've never met your family, but I'm like, I can, I, I, I understand Tiffany and Scott and I, I understand, you know, my <laughs> wife can get embarrassed by me sometimes. So like, I understand where Linda's coming from and she's embarrassed that you yell land ho, you know, things like that. <laughs> Um, so I thought you did a great job with that. I did also see there was one review that just, that was, that wasn't a negative review, but it was somebody saying like, this wasn't our experience, but right. it's cool to see another perspective of this experience. Someone else that was on the cruise, I think they said, right? Right, right. And, and there was also some reviews that, you know, this really represented our experience. And one person in fact said, we were on the very same bus you were on that went to Travis. And so, wow. Okay. You, have you been in contact with any of the people that you were on cruise with? Uh, yes. Yeah, some, they contacted me, especially, uh, you know, I put it on Facebook. Facebook about the, there's a Facebook page for, you know, the grand princess relatives and so forth. So I put this on there and yeah, people have responded back. And, you know, a lot of the people that were passengers have read the book. Cool. And you also mentioned that you met some people on the cruise that were doing a Bible study. Right. Um, did right. any contact with those people? Not that I know of. I haven't heard anything back from any of them. And, you know, I wish I'd gotten you know, email. yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a bummer. You said you weren't able to join their Bible study that day, but that's really right. cool that people were doing that on, on their, their vacation, on their cruise. Uh, we were, we were very pleasantly surprised. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun to, you know, you know how it is. You, you're somewhere and you meet somebody that's part of the body of Christ and you go, wow, there's boom, instant connection. Right. Yeah. And then you also hear, you know, oh, like I've met, I've met people in the past where, uh, you know, a guy I bought a guitar from in Nashville, um, randomly, I just saw it online and I started asking him about it. And I would tell him I'm a worship pastor in California. And he's like, oh, I'm a worship pastor in Nashville. Oh, wow. And then we just start talking. We kind of build like sort of a friendship with this guy. That's just, yeah, that connection of just kind of like, hey, you do the same thing I do. This is cool. You know, I love it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anything else you want to share with us about the book that you uh, you find really important? Um, again, I just think that the message in both books, the message of hope in these times, um, totally different approach. One is, you know, just a story, uh, that's, you know, lighthearted and I think does encourage people. And I think, uh, you know, that's thriving in quarantine, thriving in troubled times, uh, is, um, it's just a day to day, uh, aspects of life. And, and if I could, I, I want to share just a story yeah, at the go very end of the book. It's a personal story after I've done the 50 day devotional and it's again, different aspects. There's four different parts to it. You know, I think it's trusting God, gratitude, living in the moment. And I forget what the fourth one is, but at the very end, there's kind of an epilogue where I tell a story about our business here. We have a business in Santa Rosa at, uh, called the bird's nest at Montgomery village. And so Back around May, we were thinking, we're not going to be able to make it. We're mm-hmm. having to pay rent, all the expenses, but we have to be closed. And so we thought we'd test the waters. We put a few kind of like 
COVID items in the window, you know, toilet paper and hand sanitizer and so forth. And we thought, let's do it. It's Mother's Day weekend. So it was Friday, and I think we sold like $5 worth of merchandise. The next day we got up and I prayed and said, God, we don't know what, you know, we don't know. It looks like we're going to have to stay closed. And if that's what you want, then okay, but your will be done. But, and then I prayed kind of a Gideon type prayer where it's like, God, if you want us to stay open, you need to give us a sign. So we had another terrible day. You know, I turned the lights out. Linda was out in the car and uh, I was just locking up the door and I saw this lady out of the corner of my eye running up and she said, please stay open, stay open. And it's like, okay, we open back up and it's like, she went through the store and bought $4,000 worth of merchandise, furniture, everything. And she said, I was redecorating and I got to tell you, we've been in business all together. We were out in Bodega two years and here in, in, in Santa Rosa. We, in 28 years of business, that's the largest single individual sale we've ever had. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if I'd been 30 seconds earlier, you know, locking up, I wouldn't have seen her. And it came on the day when we kind of like prayed that prayer, give us a sign, and God did. He came yeah. through. And the weird thing about it is we never saw her again. Huh. I mean, she left some furniture there she didn't pick up. I called her. I texted her. And so we have eventually had to sell it again, you know? So, I mean, it was just, it was incredible just how quickly God kind of showed us what he wants. So, you know, those kind of encouraging stories, that was our personal one, but they're found in there. And I, again, one of my gifts is encouragement. And I think it's really important right now. And I think you found a good way to encourage people by being relatable because there's people that have had so many people that have had the same struggle with their businesses, um, whether it's retail or whatever it is. My wife's a photographer and she's seen, you know, she made over the year of 2020, she made uh, about 15% of what she made the year before. And it's, it's tough. Now we've got a good enough perspective on, uh, on life to understand like, you know what, it's, it's just money and we're going to trust God that he's going to continue to provide for us. And, you know what? The good thing is she's been able to spend a lot more time with our kids and, you know, I mean, just things, the good things that have come out of it rather than, um, you know, her feeling like, man, I'm just really letting our family down. It's hard to, to not be working here in this area, just how expensive it is. Right. So she was feeling the pressure of it. And over the last year, we've kind of realized like, you know what? Yeah. Working a little bit is really good, but we've figured out how to just, you know what? We don't need a bunch of nice things. We just need pay rent on the, the apartment and, and be able to buy some groceries, and we don't need to go on uh, the big vacations that we can't afford right now, and we don't need to, and we're good with that. We've got the, uh, like you said earlier, you're rich with how many grandkids you have, right? <laughs> well, we feel rich, even though we don't have a lot of money, we feel rich that we're able to to have a home where we can, you know, do puzzles with the kids all day on a Monday, you know, when we're, and just that kind of thing that the perspective changes. And I think you found a good way to relate to people with those kinds of things and being encouraging through, uh, First of all, through humor. I relate with humor. I think it is so important to find the humor in everything. Uh, I think you said it great. God has a gr- the greatest sense of humor of all. I love I love that perspective, um, and it's really cool just to see that. Now, we talked about the response. Uh, you, now, I want to know, this is my question. Are you? Do you have a follow-up to this? Are you working on something already, or are you taking a break from writing? Oh, uh, I do. I have all kinds of ideas. I, I'm forcing myself to... Uh, to slow down a little bit sure. and 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 try to market these books some because that's what I don't really like. I love writing and sure. I think that's very typical. But 
I, I write and I really have to look at my motives closely. And, and I really, you know, God keeps reminding me that, you know, this is his project. Mm-hmm. And, and my, my motive really is to, to try to influence people as much as possible. So I'm trying to do that. But I do have another book. I'm going to stay with a thriving theme that I'm working on called mm-hmm. Thri- It's about our identity in Christ. So I'll probably just go with thriving in our identity because I believe that is so critical. If we know who we are in Christ, you know, that is going to take us through all kinds of struggles. And another, I mean, you sit thriving in, in our mess is, uh, how did, how is it again? Thriving Thriving in troubled times, meeting God in the middle of our mess. Middle of our mess. That's how you said it. So yeah, thriving in your identity. I think it's another thing that people are searching for identity, man. It's, I mean, people Uh have always been doing that, but we hear so much of it now searching for some kind of identity, whether they find it in their job, their relationships, their hobbies, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, but searching for an identity and it's so important for, especially for, uh, for Christians that, that don't even, don't even understand that their identity is in Christ yet. Right. They have a relationship with them, but they haven't gotten to the point where they identify themselves as a child of God. Um, and that's just, that's so important for us to, to understand. And I think that's one of the biggest areas where Satan attacks us. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I would agree with that too. Yeah. Cool, man. Anything else you want to share before we take well, off? Well, just you can get these books on Amazon. You can order them on Amazon. Thriving in quarantine, thriving in troubled times. Do you have uh, the by, is the Kindle version available? And the the Kindle's available and the print version. And hopefully there will be a uh, I've recorded it. Hopefully the um, oh an audio audio version will be available. The full cool. of uh, the thriving quarantine. But yeah, by Barney Cargill. And uh, yeah, and you've got a website. Or, you could also probably find this stuff, right? Yes, yes, on BarneyCargal.com. Okay, cool. All right, man. Well, thanks for doing this. I appreciate you sharing uh, about your experience. I appreciate the humor that you find through all of this. Um, I haven't read the whole thing yet. I've thumbed through. I've read the first half and uh, thumbed through the rest. Um, I'll be reading the rest of that. And you also, you left uh, you left the, the devotional book here too. And I've kept it in the green room and thumbed through some of those as well. So um, I appreciate that, man. Thank all you. right, dude. Thanks, well, thanks for being here.